The only podcast that always gets a large popcorn to share. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. I'm not sharing. (laughs) The only podcast where Vari has to have her own popcorn. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. It is a horror remake with The Grudge. I'm scared. What do we do when we're scared? Count to five. One, two... World War II with an American lens put on it in Midway. Pearl Harbor is the greatest intelligence failure in American history. This can never happen again. I want to make it right. At least some of the boys still want to fight. The Japanese are planning something bigger. So what's the target? We believe it's Midway. Washington disagrees. Washington is wrong. If we lose. A feel-good film with the peanut butter falcon. Rule number one, don't slow me down. Rule number two, I'm in charge. Hey, what's rule number one? Party. And the latest Terrence Malick film in A Hidden Life. I can't swear loyalty to Hitler. Do you think your defiance will change the course of things? I can't do what I believe is wrong. (laughs) We have to stand up to evil. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hey. Now, your chance to win a gold class double pass coming up just a little later on. But first. You scared me. Tell me about 44 Rayburn Drive. Something never felt right about it. Saying the house is haunted. People will think you're crazy for saying that. If people thought Hollywood was out of ideas when they started remaking all the classic Japanese horror films in the early 2000s, then God knows what they think now they're remaking those remakes. This week's release of The Grudge is the latest and second remake after Rings last year. And is it possible that there is any more to say about The Grudge? I am not sure that we have much more to say about this, <laughs> specifically because we actually haven't had a screening of this film. I have, however, in my youth seen the American remakes with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and I did see Rings last year. So based on what we've seen in recent years and those times I don't really know that this has more to it really but you're a fan <laughs> of the the Japanese horror genre because uh, they're always kind of they've got like a certain aesthetic to them they do and it is all set on tone and eeriness yes. and like you know, blue all- tint and everything <laughs> as well <laughs> so true um yeah I, I would um, as I said I think I'd probably be interested to see this um so the plot of this is about a young housewife who murders her family in her own house and then a young detective tries to investigate and solve the case and she actually discovers that is inside the house is a a vengeful ghost and anyone who enters this house will inevitably cause doom and probably a violent death that's all we know about the grudge as it is in this iteration Mm, i was a bit concerned about how they were going to make it 
a grudge film if it wasn't even set in Japan, mm. especially since the first one obviously is a Japanese film and then the American remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar is set in Japan, so slightly westernised. And then this one is fully westernised or Americanized, mm. where that powerful spirit from the grudge has then been brought from Japan to America. So I Delivered was a, express. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a bit concerned about how it was going to be a grudge film if it's not even set in Japan. It doesn't yeah. even have Japanese main characters. It's not like um the ring where it's a videotape mm. that can travel worldwide, obviously. Yeah. So this one attaches to people mm. or in this instance, then once it gets into a house, it then spreads um, and can it jump from person to person, I guess. Mm. But maybe they're thinking just the name of the grudge is going to evoke fear and interest in an audience. Oh, yeah. But the American setting might get in more people than the other ones. Mm. Well, and there, there is sure. a thing, and this is maybe a little bit sad, uh, with American audience specific, I would say, that there is this weird, like, phobia of things from other countries. So they really do have to Americanize a lot of things. The Office is a good example. Mm. That was a show in English mm. because it's English. But Americans just couldn't quite relate to it being set in a very similar country. It needed to be American. But yeah. now you say that, it's very much in that metaphor of things invading the country. So the <laughs> Japanese have infiltrated into yeah. people's houses and making ghosts kill each other. <laughs> like, that's probably worse. Right? <laughs> So we talk a lot about the different kinds of horror. And I think horror is a genre that all gets lumped in at one, but there are different sections. And this is something that we often refer to as date night horror, which means uh, you, you watch something like Midsummer. Midsummer made me quite physically uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. and, and it, it, I, it stuck with me for days, whereas I'm sure something like The Grudge, when you walk out, in about half an hour, you'll kind of be over whatever you saw. And But it's a good time as you're watching it and you're just kind of there with your friends to have fun and maybe a couple of jump scares. Yeah. Yeah. Do and you, then you like grab onto the person next to you and maybe you like them and you're like, oh, no, I'm scared. Come <laughs> with me. One of those great movies. So the question is, do you think that this – is going to have enough of that kind of heart-pumping, be it short-lived, intense moments to kind of get you in? I certainly think so based off uh, footage that I've seen and a, a lot of gore. I don't recall a lot of gore from the original Grudge films with Sarah Michelle Gellar, but mm. apparently this one does have a, a bit of Oh, yeah, they have scenes. to up the ante, yeah. especially with these days even from like 10 years ago, the amount of horror violence that's in films. It wouldn't be that scary nowadays for audiences so i guess they've got to like push that button a bit more sure so who do you think should see the grudge so if you enjoy you know those sort of supernatural uh, very creepy imagery type horror films expect jump scares um and have a bit of interest in the the japanese cult of what is scary you'll you'll have a scary time <laughs> not a good one yeah, it's definitely going to have a lot of the jump scares that even though you know they're coming, they'll still scare you. So if you like that sort of horror, it's going to be for you. I don't think it's pushing any boundaries or treading any new ground. It looks like a pretty basic remake of the original Grudge films. But if they're a bit too campy for you, this one looks like it's got a more modern twist. If we lose, then Japanese on the West Coast. Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Burn. We got the order to launch. We need to throw a punch so they know what it feels like to be hit. 
Roland Emmerich is a director that has long been known for destroying famous landmarks, from blowing up the White House in Independence Day, and then again in White House Down, to freezing the Statue of Liberty in the day after tomorrow. But now his destruction takes on a slightly different tone in his latest movie, because he's dealing with a real-life tragedy, the Battle of Midway. Has he toned it down enough, or is it too little too late? This definitely employs his love of explosions but not to the extent where it feels too gratuitous and he's definitely toned it down in that, yes, he is dealing with real events and real people so it doesn't feel like sci-fi fantasy type of destruction that he's gone for before. Um, and for those who don't know, Midway was a, a real battle that was fought in World War II and it's set around the events of April 4th to 7th in 1942 where the Japanese had planned a surprise attack on a US outpost of Midway. Um, this was six months after Pearl Harbor happened. And from this post, they could then take the east coast of the United States. And American forces were really outnumbered, but through a lot of code cracking and the efforts of fighter pilots, they turned the tide of the battle. And it's lauded as one of the like the event that turned the tide of World War II, especially for the Americans. So I've always thought of Roland Emmerich as kind of like a poor man's Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a compliment either, <laughs> but you know, like Michael Bay does Armageddon, mm. and then Roland Emmerich does Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. Or, uh, for instance, Michael Bay does Pearl Harbor. Roland Emmerich does mm. Midway. Mm. I yeah. got to tell you, when it comes to and I, you know, I like a war movie. Mm. This ain't it, Chief. No. <laughs> like, there's something about it being so kind of fake looking. Uh, it uses a lot of like mm-hmm. CGI set extensions and stuff like that. That uh, for me personally, I kind of felt like it took a lot of the, the tension out of it. And it's very rare really? that I say Michael Bay did it better. Mm. But uh, to his credit, uh, he employed hundreds of extras and used real mechanical ships and flipped them during his Pearl Harbor sequence. Mm. But when it came to the same similar kind of sequences in Midway, mm. I don't know. There was there was there was something there that was lacking, like a like a tactile thing that was lacking. I definitely know what yeah. you're talking about, Camber. I sort of see it as CGI battleship mayhem. Do you yeah, know a little mean? bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, and it's weird because it is based on real people and mm. real events. But it, it kind of almost, to me, stripped a little bit of the humanity out of it. Yeah. By, by doing it. It was oh, too I shiny think... and too too clean. Or so. I don't oh, know what it's like. Interesting. I, the I complete like those opposite. scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I think because a lot of it is like we've got a lot of different perspectives. We've got um, some submarine. We've got Navy. We've got airship. We've got mm-hmm. some the code crackers in the intelligence offices. So we've got a lot of different perspectives. And, yeah, there's a few battles where there's a lot of explosions. But the perspective we get from the fighter pilots when they're dashing through the air and there's explosions going on all around them and we see their perspective, the camera angle and the music and the sound effects that they used, I think really brought the tension for me. Okay. I was really tense in those scenes. The script I think is also, uh, I would say boilerplate World War II movie script. It's yeah, <laughs> like, it's very American. Yes, and, and patriotism. And, and yeah, it, yeah. it makes me think of say the latter half of 1917, where there's very very little dialogue, and mainly action. Yeah, to this where it's always people telling each other, if we don't get this plane down, then that guy's gonna go over there, and it's the end of it. You know, it's like people explaining. Yeah, mm. I don't know. It felt it felt like an early draft of the script that hadn't been refined yet a little bit to me. Based on how much story they had to try and fit into this film, I think yes, it wasn't the best script, but I think they had a lot of 
a lot of information to get through. And I think with such a all-star cast, they really had to focus a little bit on this one, a little bit. So some of the names are Ed Screen, Mandy Moore, Woody Harrelson, Luke Evans, Dennis Quaid, Nick Jonas, Darren Chris. I just, um, I just want to mention that, briefly uh, <laughs> Ed Screen's accent. Uh, Did he do an accent? Yeah, he does like a cartoony Jersey accent. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, like, it's coming back the to boys me. were from Jersey, you see? Like, <laughs> and it's only because I've seen so much of Ed Screen and I know his natural voice. I'm like, whoa, you, whoa, that's a swing. Like, Ooh. Right? That didn't bother me. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no, notice. it's not that it's bad. It was just yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who do you think should see Midway? So I'm not the biggest fan of war films in general. So I actually quite enjoyed Midway as a standard sort of war film with so be it CGI battle scenes, um, bit over the top, but it was a lot of fun. Um, if you if you enjoy those, I guess Michael Bay esque action films, you'll you'll get something from this. There's history in it. I had not mm. actually heard of the the Battle of Midway, so I thought that was quite good, and uh, it, it sort of makes you appreciate um, the, the sacrifice that soldiers went through a little bit. So I think yeah, it's a good film entertaining great cast yeah i would second all of those points and if you like films like pearl harbor it really is in that sort of war film genre also still in cinemas like a boss two best friends trying to save a makeup company a beautiful day in the neighborhood tom hanks stars in this biographical film about a true hero just mercy michael b jordan plays a civil rights lawyer who works to free prisoners from death row and underwater Kristen stewart seven miles deep is something else yes you can hear about all of those movies plus everything that's still in cinemas right now in our back catalog that you can access from whichever podcast app you'd like zach you have a young boy with down syndrome in the middle of nowhere all right well while you've been doing paperwork we've been doing something called living I made a promise to him to get him that wrestling school in Aiden. No, we're not going to hop on your yeah. little raft and cruise around down the river. Hey, Eleanor, I don't want to go home. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the Peanut Butter Falcon is the latest in the recent comeback of Shia LaBeouf, and I, for one, am all for it. After years of odd behavior and time away from the spotlight, is it too little, too late, or is it a welcome return? It's a very welcome return for me, Cambo. I, I love The Peanut Butter Falcon. It's such a heartwarming film. Yes, and we should point out uh, Peanut Butter Falcon is in limited release, playing it Jam Factor in Riverly, so make sure you check your session times if, you, if you're about to look for it. So the story of The Peanut Butter Falcon is heavily inspired by the Mark Twain story, Huckleberry Finn. It focuses on Zach, who actually has Down syndrome, and he escapes the nursing home to which he is in prison, almost, <laughs> basically. He literally escapes by getting through bars and escapes um, to follow his dreams of becoming a wrestler. And along the way, he crosses paths with Tyler, who's played by... Shire. He's also on the run from the law and through circumstance they become sort of like unlikely friends in a way. Yeah, it's one of those unlikely buddy road trip films. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is so adorable. The relationship between Shia LaBeouf and Zach Gottsagen, who um, is the Down Syndrome actor, is really cute. It's mm. so good. Really adorable. <laughs> We've also got Dakota Johnson who plays the nursing home employee who's sent to find them. So she's trying to like track them down and they're both trying to like escape her and they're going through like river deltas in the deep south of America and mm. they come across all these sort of crazy characters and they're trying to get to another crazy character, <laughs> um, his hero, the saltwater redneck, <laughs> which is a great name for this wrestler and he apparently has this school and this is Zach's hero and he wants to go learn to be a wrestler from this guy. 
So I really, really loved this film. I thought it was it was very sweet. It mm. had a ton of heart to it. I, I really do encourage people to go and check it out because I fear that it's going to be one of those underrated yeah. films mm. because I think the message behind it is also really, really great. It's it's about acceptance. It's about following your dreams. It's uh, it's not strictly a comedy per se, no. but I think yeah. it's, it hits that really great ground of being quite funny and entertaining but also making you every now and then just going, oh, it's, yeah, it's so it's so nice. It's so sweet, and I I think that that is kind of a rarity in these days. Like we're talking about the Battle of Midway. We're talking mm. about uh, a curse that'll kill everyone that goes <laughs> in the house. It's kind of nice to have the polar opposite of that. And I I have thought about this movie a fair bit, like since the time I watched it. It's really mm. kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I think the the heart of the message as well is friends are the family you choose. Yeah, mm. as well because they really are quite polar opposites. These two characters, and they end up finding common ground and I like that this movie came about when the directors went to an acting camp and they met Zach there and they wrote the story about him. So Zach had actually said to them that he wants to be in movies at this acting camp and there's probably not a lot of opportunity for Down Syndrome people to become actors in Hollywood and so these two directors who themselves had only done a few short documentaries and short films thought, yeah, That'd be great. Let's do a story about him. And his character is completely based on his true self. So who do you think should see the peanut butter falcon? This film has a seal of approval for accurate depictions of people with disabilities um, from a program in America. And so I think this one's a really good one for people of different backgrounds to go see. Something different that you wouldn't normally go see at the movies. Um, So because it doesn't have a wide release, I really would encourage you to really look it up and and take some friends. It's so heartwarming and so cute. And one of those like surprise gems that you, yeah, is just a delight to uncover. Yeah, it was so like surprising for I think both of us, Mm. and it's fundamentally a buddy film. So seeing it with the friends is certainly recommended. And if you want to be transported to the deep south, see this film. (laughs) Shia's back, baby. What's happened to our country? To the land we love? A timely drama. My love, I need you. About how the quietest acts of resistance save civilization. I can't swear loyalty to Hitler. It's awe-inspiring. Whatever you do, I'm with you. Terence Malick films are a hard thing to really sum up. His 2011 film The Tree of Life is hailed by some as a masterpiece and others claim it to be one of the worst films they've ever seen. Will his latest, A Hidden Life, change anyone's minds? And before we get into this, I want to ask both of you, have you ever, before A Hidden Life, seen a Terrence Malick film? Nope. Yes. A very long time ago and I can't remember much of it. (laughs) Then my next question is, how did you go? (laughs) So I had a vague idea of what I was getting myself into and I wasn't disappointed. It's, It's a long film. At two hours and 55 minutes. Terrence Malick, check. And that, yes. <laughs> and it's his signature epic, poetic, humanitarian film. Yeah, check that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but different to his other films, it's in a linear narrative. Oh, wow. He's sold out. So <laughs> He's gone mainstream. Across. So it's easy to understand and follow. Yes. So it's based on real events about an Austrian peasant farmer called Franz who refuses to fight for the Nazis in World War II. And even when he's arrested and he faces execution, it's his faith and love for his wife and their daughters that keeps his spirit alive. Now, that's a very simple premise. Mm -hmm. To cover a lifetime of love in a lot of 
there is sort of flashbacks, um, even though it is a linear narrative. It goes back and forth between Franz in his Austrian village with his family and what they're dealing with there. Um, And because he's a conscientious objector before he gets signed up to the army, everybody in his village really has a go at them for not supporting their country, not being patriotic. Mm. And in hindsight, it's easy for all of us to say, well, they were silly. They were following this horrible leader. And he was very unique in standing up to that and thinking, no, that's that sounds evil. Like he's a peasant farmer in the Austrian Alps. <laughs> he wouldn't know much about what's going on, but he just knew what the things he had heard this Hitler guy sounds pretty evil. So he didn't want to follow him and he really stuck to his guns. And for me, I think, yes, absolutely right with all of what you say. But as a first-time viewer of Terence Malick mm. films, I appreciate what he's trying to tell in this story. And what I actually got from this particular film was the visuals. I actually mm. really yes. loved that it starts with some breathtaking footage of uh, Nazi Germany and like the occupation and that's just like, harrowing to watch but then it's Mm. juxtaposed with the beautiful hills of the Austrian hills I feel like I was watching Sound of Music and all of that is what I really loved watching. Yeah that is a through line to every Terrence Mm. Malick film they are some of the most visually Mm. striking films you'll see now his films to quote uh, Whiplash not quite my tempo but I respect the hell out of him as a filmmaker because mm. he is one of the last like proper auteurs. He makes exactly the film he yes. wants to make and mm. exactly the style he wants to make it. Some people have kind of referred to them as almost like beat poems of movies where they, they mm. are yeah. more than nonlinear stuff because it'll, it'll go here, it'll go there, it'll kind of go whatever. And it's all about emotion yeah. rather than story. Um, yeah. And I think people, it's that kind of thing. It's like you're either, you're either for it or you're not. Yeah. And I don't think this will convert anyone that isn't, but people that love the Terrence Malick style, mm. I think this is like he has this real consistency to be. Every film he does is kind of just as kind of profoundly artful as the last. I think it might convert some people because even though I'm not a fan, I haven't seen all of his films and love them and I only knew somewhat of what I was going to be watching mm. when I watched it. Afterwards, it took me a while to digest it. And then the more research I did about it and learned the the filmmaking around it as well, not just the film itself, made me fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that could happen for you too, listening at home. <laughs> now, this film was only playing at Rivoli. And with that in mind, who do you think should see this film? So this film won't appeal to everyone. I think there are moments that can be potentially triggering due to imagery and the relatively recent nature and time in which these events took place. Obviously it's almost three hours. Um, so if you, you're a bit itchy after an hour and a half, you might not uh, be on board. But um, I think if you like films that are historically accurate and about time that you may not have known about, I think you'll, you'll like this. It sort of remind me of the 1997 film Life is Beautiful a little bit. Mm. So if, if you've seen that and you like that, you may like A Hidden Life. Yeah, it reminded me of Melancholia with Kirsten Dunst. Very, yeah, epically beautiful if you're in for a journey and a different perspective on life and historical events, as you did say, Dan, Mm. but something so different from what you normally see in the cinema, then this one is worth a trip out. Or even if you've seen The Thin Red Line, which is his World War II drama, Terrence Malick's World War II drama, also a linear film, one of the rare ones, Mm. uh, I think that that's also kind of a good entry-level Terrence Malick and that's kind of maybe of this mould. 
Now, for your chance to win a gold class double pass, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post and answer the question. What is your favourite Shia LaBeouf film? Yes, simply leave your answer with the hashtag The Cinema Crew for your chance to win. Next week, more comic book mayhem in Birds of Prey, Family Fun in H is for Happiness, and Lovecraftian Horror in Colour Out of Space. Until then, thank you, Vari. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My name is Cambo, and this is The Cinema Crew, your village cinema.